Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Barnhart, along with author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg. We're here to encourage you wherever you are on your healing journey. In each episode, we will chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you found us. Let us help you find your joy in life. Thanks for tuning in again. This is another uh, summer edition of our Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Barnhart, joined by my Miss New Jersey co-host, Irene Weinberg. And thanks for, uh, like I said, joining us again tonight. How are you doing, Irene? Well, I'm actually in really great shape today because here we do, we interview all these wonderful celebrities. We interview all these wonderful, inspiring people. And we also interview many healers so that people can see that they don't have to suffer and that they can learn that there are many different kinds of people who can help them, including me, because I spent my afternoon with a wonderful healer today. And it is the, it's just so enlightening and very, very freeing. And every time I go, I remove different blockages that are keep holding me back or I do some healing and it's, it's a wonderful feeling. It feels like uh, like you're carrying a backpack, and it's the load that you're carrying is getting lighter and lighter and lighter, and it allows you to enjoy your life more and more and to do what you're meant to do. So here's my own plug for healing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, who did you teach today? Uh, Seta, who was in Seta Shahinian, who was our second podcast our second episode and we just had an amazing session together touching on some very personal issues a few that I didn't even know I had but once they were unearthed they made total sense so uh, it's it's I can't emphasize to people enough how worth it it is to open up to these healing modalities and um, let them in and to um, free yourself uh, you don't don't have to stay stuck in your stories at all. I have let go of so many stories. <laughs> oh my goodness! So um, anyway, yeah. well, that's great. I mean, I I love a good healing. I mean, I like such too. I I love a good healing with it. So I know the vibes you must be feeling right now. So that's a good it's a good positive energy to kick off our podcast. Absolutely, because what we have, who we have now, is another like. I've gotten to know Peggy DeLong personally, and I have to say I am wearing one of her gemstone bracelets as we speak. She's, and she'll tell you more, but she's, oh my God, she's like just not only an amazing, (laughs) talented person with what she does with these gemstones, but she's also a licensed psychologist, and she makes a huge difference in kids' lives in particular, and I'm going to encourage her to talk about that. So, Peggy, you think we should let you get a word in edgewise over here and say hello? <laughs> Thank you so much. Hi, Peggy. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yes, I, I have considered myself a healer for years doing 
traditional psychotherapy. And just over the course of the past two years, I have gotten into a different type of healing through making gemstone bracelets. And it really stemmed from my own experiences of loss um, about 25 years ago when I lost um, both my fiance and my father within a six-week period. And it was so so meaningful to me when people gave me angels in all forms, whether it was a pillow, a pen, a necklace, bracelets. But what I, what I really loved were the bracelets that I could look down at my wrist and see an angel, especially when I went back to work. So that is what inspired me to start making uh, healing bracelets. And the two that I started with were the angel bracelet, as well as my, um, my actually my bestseller is the gratitude bracelet. That is a concept that I really hadn't practiced until I had to uh, when my fiance was sick and every day was just awful um, not knowing what condition he would be in in the hospital if he would be able to open his eyes and look at me um, you know what doctors or nurses were on staff Every, every day was unpredictable. I never knew what I was in for. Um, and the one thing that was predictable was hazelnut coffee. And I became grateful for hazelnut nut coffee, the consistency, the taste. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, but what I was learning was gratitude. Yes, so and that, instead, of, instead of being, feeling, it doesn't, be, I'm sure you had those moments, but instead of diving into the pool of, Bitterness and and self pity. It sounds like you dove into the pool of gratitude, which is amazing for what, considering what you were going through. Right, and and I I had to. It was the I, I learned very quickly that it made me feel better just to focus mm-hmm. on one small thing, and then the gratitude for the hazelnut coffee expanded to anything that I could find to be grateful in the day, whether it was a brief moment that he was lucid and able to speak with me, um, the one day that he felt fantastic and the the nursing staff let us have a party in the lounge, um, anything that I could be grateful for. So I learned so much through that experience, um, and now I, I share that through my gratitude workshops that I do in northern New Jersey. In fact, I'm, I'm doing one tomorrow night in Chatham, and then another one in Somerville on Thursday, um, just spreading the message of gratitude and how it can really change your life. Wow, that sounds interesting, and I know you also do you do a lot of different workshops, right? You, I mean, you also do one about fostering the parent-child relationship. Yes. Um, and I, and the, was, how did that grow? What what grew out of that? And I know you also work with teenagers, and you do some really hard work with teenagers. Yeah. You want to talk I, about I that? Sure. I guess what inspired me with that was is my own children. I have three teens, and as as they were getting older, um, and you know, as a psychologist, I always like to stay current with the literature, and and books out there, and everything that I would see on Facebook or hear friends talk about was just oh, the teen years. Oh, you know, good luck with that. Um, and I don't think it has to be that way. Uh, I think when we're giving that message, we uh, it almost becomes an expectation that you think the teen years are going to be awful. And they don't have to be. And that is the message that I want to give mothers, particularly uh, mother-daughter relationships. Uh, So that is, uh, so I do workshops with that as well um, in various libraries and community centers, um, helping parents connect with their tween and teen daughters. Um, Now, don't the kids really have to kind of, because I experienced it with my teenage son who was never, ever 
a problem, really an easy kid to raise until he hit that 14, 15 year old time. And all of a sudden I had a male chauvinist on my hands. And I mean, I was not happy. And even though intellectually I could understand that he needed to separate out from me, (laughs) you know, so what advice do you give parents for, for handling that kind of stuff? With their daughters who are rebelling, their sons who are rebelling. I think a lot of it is understanding that that is normal um, and 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 welcoming their um, demonstrating independence. That that is normal, healthy development to um, to have an opinion, to want to be separate from the family, to focus on friendships. Um, and it's hard when it when it comes off more as uh, rebellion. But I think the more that parents can um, be educated about the developmental stage, the less they take it personally. Um, Because what tends to happen is that, especially with daughters, um, when they pull away or um, become sarcastic, roll their eyes or whatever it may be, the um, moms tend to feel personally hurt. Uh, And then they in turn pull back emotionally so that when the daughter really needs them, and is reaching out for them, the mother is less emotionally available. And then, uh, and then it be, kind of becomes a cycle of going downhill, um, where when there's an understanding and the mother really works hard, it takes a lot of work not to take this personally. Um, but when you cannot have a better understanding that it's not personal, that it's just part of the development, um, it, it takes the sting out a little bit and helps the relationship. Um, and I work a lot with mothers and daughters of different ways of communicating. It doesn't have to be verbal. There's lots of wonderful ways to communicate. Um, and one of the things that I always recommend in my workshops is using a, a mother-child notebook. So when there's something on the daughter or mother's mind, um, to write it down. It helps begin that conversation, especially the, the topics that are so hard to bring up um, related to substance use, um, sex, uh, you know, whatever it may be. All of that. Oh, my. Now, you do know, people I'm also call you? Oh, go ahead, Steph. I'm sorry. Go ahead. interject here because I feel like I think it's important to know that this isn't just for teens and tweens. And I feel like a lot of this starts with parenting very young. And I actually wrote an article about this that went viral about being the second favorite parent because it was extremely hard for me to deal with it personally when my son was only, you know, maybe two, three years old even. And, the, you know, I mean, as a single parent, you know, it was that he would spend a lot of time with me. And, um, you know, as soon as he would see his dad or he would leave his dad, he would be so excited or he would just cry. But with me, he didn't care. And, you know, at first it was like this whole, oh, my God, like, why doesn't he ever react like that to me? And he doesn't even miss me and he doesn't care. And it took a lot of time to really kind of, like you said, understand that, you know, you have to work hard to realize that that's not what it is, that he's actually probably more comfortable realizing that I'm always around, that I'm always going to be there and that, you know, mom, he doesn't have to worry about mom or get so emotional about it. And so... You know, I really love that you kind of do these with older teens because, like Irene said, I'm not ready for the teenage years. He's still my – he still loves mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> so right, like, right. You know, but well, um, it's a hard yeah, it's a hard life with parents and kids, I think, especially these days. There's so many new it, it, issues. It really is. It is hard. And I think that when we're so, um, you know, given that message that, that it has – that it's expected to be hard – 
And when things start to happen, we're like, okay, here we go, it's starting, and then kind of throw our hands up and, and give up. Whereas when you're given tools to help cope with the difficulties, it just makes the whole process more smoother. And all of the research shows that the, the, the um, adolescent girls who have a stronger relationship with one parent have better long-term outcomes. Um, not only do they make better decisions when they're faced with it in the moment, but five, ten years later, they have better outcomes when they when they feel that they have a, a trusting, close relationship with one parent. And that doesn't mean no conflict. Of course, there's going to be conflict and arguments, and that's all also normal. Um, but when they feel that they can go to one parent um, and and trust them and be able to confide in them, then they they tend to do better. Now, that sometimes that. Um it could be a father or a mother, or that sometimes even be a grandparent. Right. Um, it could be anyone. Uh, just having one close relationship, and it can be, right, like you said, it could be mother, father, or grandparent. But now, do people? Um, one of these cool things I just saw too that kind of you know elaborates on that a little bit. That um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but right now, uh, big in the younger generations and the millennials. Um, and I guess I'm on the upside cusp of that, I'll say. <laughs> we have a relationship, Stephanie and I, but she's yeah. the millennial and I'm the bloomer. There's <laughs> <laughs> really cool um, new shows I think that's up and coming that's really showcasing the power of social media is called Red Table Talk, and it's on Facebook. It's Facebook Live, little quick little talk show with Jada Pinkett. And she does it with her daughter, Willow, with, from Will Smith. And recently, I mean, I'll even put the link to this in this um, podcast uh, on our website, and Peggy, I'll send it for you guys. But they just did a very controversial talk about this. And she went and talked about sex with her daughter, Willow, on the show. And she said it was extremely important that Willow was a part of that conversation because they're so open about it. And this younger generation has a highly different view and value in sexual things and I think it was just very interesting to see as a parent and to listen to even how Jada Pinkett really I mean they just had like you're describing Peggy they had this very close relationship you can tell that Willow is extremely close with her mother would go to her for any kind of issues and I'm sure they still bicker and it's kind of funny on the show but um, I think it's really important and there is kind of this curve that you're saying that we're a lot more open and kind of talk about that. You know, like my parents didn't really have that birds and bees talk, you know, Irene, did uh -huh. you? Like, oh, I got lectured all the time that I had to be a good girl. And if they ever found out I wasn't a good girl, I would be homeless. That was about, that was about yeah. where it was for me. <laughs> it's very different now, you know, and like as a upgrowing parent, especially of a boy, like, how do you have that conversation and plus teach him, you know, values and respect, you know, like, it's a very it's a very interesting world. So I, I I'm very interested in this, Peggy. I feel like even me as like a younger parent would want to know just to like prepare what to do before it gets to the point that he's a teen and tween and we don't know how to have those conversations, you know? Peggy, right. do people call you aside from your workshops, do people call you to have um counseling sessions about they're having a problem with their child or whatever, can you help me? And do oh. do you I, I bet you have a, a practice that does that, or am yes. I right? Am I right? 
yes, um, over time, I, ha- I used to work with preschoolers, um, but I would say that within the past five years, that has evolved to I primarily work with teen and tween girls and or their mothers. Um, that's just kind of uh, what, what happened. It just became a personal interest, which then became a professional interest. Right. Um, but if I people used- have little guys or they have sons, they could still contact you if they also have issues, right? Yes, yes. I see children of all ages, um, as young as three, but primarily have been working with teens and tweens lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I used to run a, a, an entire um, year-long program for mothers and daughters called the Mother-Daughter Connection. And, mm-hmm. every, and we met every other week, and each week was a different topic. So we talked about social media. Another topic was mental health. Another topic was substance use, um, teen dating violence. And every mission, uh, with each session, my mission was to get the conversation going. And I would give mothers and daughters um, conversation starters, questions. To, so they, we, we met as a group, and then privately each mother-daughter dyad would go off um, separately and ask each other different questions just to get the conversation going and then hopefully carry that into the home. Um, so I, I have all of those sessions um, in, a, in a book format, and I'm hoping to have that published within the next couple years. It's really a, a passion of mine, helping mothers and daughters to connect. So I'm so blessed that I have a wonderful relationship with my mother and, and my daughters as well. But it, I know it's not easy, and uh, I want to help other people with, with that. I think it's not easy, and a lot of times I think daughters um, either kind of sublimate themselves to please their mothers. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, and lose a part of themselves and don't separate out properly, or they're in competition. I mean, there's a lot of dicey dynamic that goes on. Mm-hmm, right. right. And if, yes. And and uh, and also just learning not to take things personally um, that there and that goes not just with mother daughter relationships, but with everything. Um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the book, The Four Agreements. Yes, very. Um, OK, very so one so. of the one of the agreements that I refer to repeatedly in my own life is not to take things personally. Mm-hmm. And when we can achieve that, it makes life so much more. Um, fulfilling and pleasurable. Um, and just a quick example, when I got back, uh, we had dinner last night as a family after my daughter and I got back from our mother-daughter trip. And I asked her, you know, what her to tell the other family members what her favorite part was. And she couldn't come up with one. And I felt hurt. Like, well, you know, it was, you know, she, that she couldn't come up with her favorite part. And I thought was that maybe she didn't have as great as a time as I thought she did. Um, but then further in the conversation, it learned uh, she said that there were too many great things to mention. Um, so that's just a perfect example of how something could be misperceived if you don't continue the conversation and, and not take it personally. Wow, that's really, that's sage advice. Strong, strong, you know, really important point to make too, especially with just, you know, a lot of like the suicides that have been happening in the news and a lot lately and how people start to take some of those thoughts and make them believable in their mind, you know, where they start to see themselves as one thing or a burden or, you know, that people are out to get them. And that's, that's not the reality, you know? And I think it's really important to be having those kind of conversations with ourselves right on this podcast, you know, and just with, with our friends and family and especially our children. 
And you right. see kids, and you see kids who don't get the benefit of what you're doing. I mean, your practice also uh, specializes in child abuse and neglect, right? Yes, um, that's what I did 100% for about 12 years, only working oh in the field of child abuse and neglect. Um, so I've kind of expanded and now have become more of a, a general practitioner rather than just focusing on um, the forensic part and, and testifying. Uh, so, you know, I have that background, um, which has been very useful and, and helpful for me understanding trauma and helping children. Um, but it's uh, it doesn't have to be like children don't have to go through abuse or neglect to be suffering and struggling with their own thoughts. Um, so a lot of the work that I do is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, helping children restructure their thinking. So just like you were saying, Stephanie, they can get stuck in the, the negative thinking, and if they don't if they don't talk to anybody about it, that can really spiral out of control um, and to really be just brought down by negative thoughts that are not um, realistic and have perceptions that think other people think poorly of them when it's really not true. Mm -hmm. So I help, I help children with positive affirmations and um, just thinking more positively. What is it you've been kind of doing that like you're kind of talking about is like this whole gratitude thing. And we've been, I've been trying to learn how to do like the meditation and do gratitude journals. But one of the things that we do at night, I don't want to say every night because I, I try every night, but Max and I will tell each other what, you know, the best part of the day was or what we're really thankful for. And I think it's very humbling sometimes to hear what he thinks was the best part of his day. You know what I mean? It would, it could be something that would totally be something you wouldn't even think would be important, but to like a six-year-old, it means the world. And oh, I yes. think sometimes, you know, it's really, I enjoy just even hearing his, his point of view, like you said, because we as adults, I think, try to tend to overcomplicate things and we overprocess things in life and we overthink them and the simplicity and kind of like naiveness that they can kind of interject back to us is really kind of been one of the best parts of gratitude that I've really started to embrace, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, well, and that's one of the other things that I cover in my, um, both in my mother daughter workshops and in my gratitude workshops that sometimes we can get stuck in, in our own um, things that we're grateful for and kind of miss out on some other things. But when we share that with somebody, we get somebody else's perspective and what they're grateful for. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, in addition to a mother-daughter or mother-child notebook, I'll suggest a parent-child, specifically a gratitude notebook, so they can share that experience. Just like you said, your child has a different view of the world and how wonderful that he can um, open your eyes to something that you didn't think about. Um, well, and, Stephanie, and you've got a great example of that, don't you, um, about um, Max and his kindergarten graduation? Yeah, uh, it was very surprising. I mean, I definitely teared up a little bit, but my son just graduated um, kindergarten a couple weeks ago, and they did this little thing where they did the graduation on stage, and every one of the students had to go up to the microphone and say what their favorite part of kindergarten was. So, you know, the kid would go up and be like, macaroni and cheese, or my favorite was art class, and Max goes up there, and I have the video. I can send you guys the link. Um, and I had no idea he was going to say it, nothing. I had no clue. And he gets right up there and he says, 
my favorite part of kindergarten is when my mom came to the field trip because I love her. Oh, <laughs> only a six-year-old. I said I'm I'm on his shelf life here because you know he'll get too old and too cool for me. But it was just so sweet to know that it really, you know what I mean. Like it makes it all worthwhile, right? Like the sacrifices we make to be able to do little things for our kids like that. Like it wasn't a big deal for me. Like you know I moved a lot of things around, probably shifted in podcast interview or made Irene change something so I could be at this field trip, but. To him, it meant the world, you know? Right, you know, right. I think mm-hmm. it just shows that, um, you know, sometimes it's the little things that, we, like I said, that we kind of overlook. Uh, and a lot right. of parents are going crazy showing up to everything, and they don't realize how important that is to, to their child, mm-hmm. to see them yeah. there. Peggy, have you got a wonderful story you'd like to share? We're kind of drawing to a close, but you, this is so such a wonderful interview. Is there anything um, that you'd like to share with people um, about healing that's happened for you or about your grace, your bracelets or about anything that's gone on. And then we will get your tip for joy. Sure. Sure. Um, well, uh, the, the bracelets have opened up a, a whole new world of being able to help people that I never imagined possible. And uh, just one quick example, um, a friend reached out to me. Her, her mother had just been diagnosed with lung cancer, which was quite a shock since her mother never smoked in her life, and, uh, she, and she needed immediate surgery. So my friend asked me to make bracelets um, for her mother and all of the female relatives to wear all over the country um, so that they could all, uh, you know, be a team and support her. And uh, so that the feedback that I got was just so nice to to hear that that bracelet was just a bracelet that, that connected all of them wherever they were in the country and, and thinking about this woman going through her surgery. So, but, you know, the beauty of your bracelets are, because I know I wear, I'm wearing one, is that they're, each gemstone has a meaning and carries a vibration. So all of these women, we're wearing these bracelets and connected uh, with the intent of healing and gratitude for this woman to get better. Right, and that, and that is another part that I, I love about making the bracelets. I get to do three three of my passions rolled up into one. I get to make bracelets, which I love. I get to use um, a little bit of psychology because uh, I usually incorporate some type of research in psychology or, or something into the bracelet design and writing. Everything um, comes with an inspirational card about the, the meaning of the gemstone or, or just a quick inspiration. Uh, so it's, it's, I'm just feel so blessed that I have been able to put together these three passions into one and, and also be able to help people through making bracelets. Uh, and you know, every, every day I get a text or an email or so one time I got a, a phone call from a stranger leaving me a voicemail in tears, um, just how special the bracelet was to her she felt compelled to call me and let me know so that keeps me going every day and uh, really fuels my soul I can't wait to wake up every day and see what orders have come in and and make them I think I think about the person their name who it's going to and uh, I really put a lot of myself into each bracelet and I just love it you do I'm a testimonial because um, to be able to choose the stones with you for the exact message that you you write out to the person as to I'm sending this to you and this is what I'm wishing or this is what I'm hoping for you or whatever that message is it's so meaningful yeah, and, everything uh, is, yes it's all 
personal. It didn't exist before I speak with the person who placed the order. Sometimes they can choose right from my website and find exactly what they're looking for. But what I really love is, is the very customized designs where I speak with the, the person buying and we talk about the person and, and that helps me choose the right gemstones and the right words. And uh, it's just so much fun. Wow. <laughs> really is there anything class. special you want to um have for our listeners, like within a time period or whatever, if they want to call you because maybe they have birthdays coming up or different holidays or different occasions or anything, sure. let's get them all calling you. Sure. Well, my website is peggysmidnightcreations.com, and I can also be reached by email at peggydelong at comcast.net. And right now, my bracelet of the month is a bracelet for the mother of the high school graduate. So it is a beautiful bracelet that focuses on one center B called Mother of Pearl. And as the mother looks at it during the day, uh, and it comes with a beautiful poem about sending their um, her daughter, her daughter or son, out into the world. That's beautiful. Well, Peggy, we'll be sure to um, put all your information up on our website as well when we push this podcast live so we can include, you know, where they can get these bracelets or, you know, also maybe talk to you about some of these sessions that you offer. When you do these, though, really quick, one last thing, um, are these always in person or do you ever do any of these, um, like, remotely over the phone and stuff like that, too, for anyone who's not local? Yeah, yeah, over the phone for the bracelet designs for the or the, like, or the workshops or the workshops uh, the workshops I've only done in person but if um, as I'm learning technology I will probably get <laughs> into doing a uh, um, uh, one on zoom I just did had a zoom conference today and that was fun yeah. uh, so once I learn how to do things like that I would can offer them virtually but right now they're limited to um, northern New Jersey in-person workshops well, we and what's your tip for finding joy in life, Peg? My tip for finding joy probably sounds counterintuitive, and that is to give up the pursuit of happiness. And the reason I say that is because happiness is fleeting. It's elusive. When we search for it, we're, how do we know we've achieved it anyway? Um, and then when we have it, something can happen, can happen and, it's, and then it's gone. Um, where really what to focus on is being grateful and resilience. Um, in fact, psychologists have this new term, it's, uh, that resilience is the new happiness. That the more we can build up our resilience, the better we are to handle all of the things that life throws our way and even experience happiness and joy on the worst of days. And part of being resilient uh, is gratitude. So I, um, so that is what I uh, have learned in my own personal experience and why I'm really focused on helping people find creative ways of being grateful every day. That is very wise advice. I really like that a lot too. I like that a lot because, you know, my mom is 93 and she is just a great lady and everybody can't get over how she has such a great attitude and all that. And her motto is adjust, adjust, adjust. So that sounds like I have a, a mom who's very resilient. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, it's resilient. 
that I know when I was going through everything in 1994, when my fiance died, and then very unexpectedly, six weeks later, my father died, everybody thought I was going to fall apart. Uh, and I should have fallen apart. But I think what got me through was being resilient. It, and part of it was having, a, you know, a stable childhood, but also, um, I had been afforded so many opportunities to build resilience. I, I, if I had a difficulty with a teacher in high school, my parents didn't jump in and save it, solve it for me. I did. That that taught me how to problem solve. Um, so all of all of the opportunities to build resilience, I took advantage of. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm helping. That I do help women um, my age, you know, about you know middle age uh, in my private practice, helping because it's never too late to build resilience. In fact, I have a midlife resilience bracelet, and it comes with six different gemstones to help women remember to do six different things a day to help them build their own resilience. And one of that's them is fantastic. Yeah, just a simple reminder to, you don't have to do all six, um, but just to do, you know, even if it's just one, to help build your resilience, because it's never too late to build resilience. We, we talk a lot about building children's resilience, but we need it as adults too. Uh, loss of partners, divorce, um, parents' mm-hmm. illness, what, you know, whatever it may be, we're, we've got challenges and big challenges. So the more resilient that we are, the better we are to cope with them and even experience happiness on the, on the very worst of days. Mm-hmm. Peggy, anyone who listens to this interview is going to become much wiser and much more oh, insightful. Okay. I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Irene. Thanks. Well, it, it came out of hardship. I was. Uh... I hate to always wrap it up, but as Irene always says, to be continued. So to be continued. This has been great. Thank you so much, Peggy. Yeah, You're welcome. Thank you, both of you, Stephanie and Irene. It's been a pleasure. Our okay. pleasure, too. Okay. 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 Bye. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.